The scripture reading today is from Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, verses 32 through 45, and that's in the Pew Bible, page 716. They were on their way to Jerusalem when Jesus leading the way and the disciples were astonished, while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him, and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave to all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom to many. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Gil. Gil has one of those voices that Grady Nutt used to say is aged in oak. You got a good reading voice. He's a minister of the gospel, by the way. In fact, he and Vicki have a wonderful ministry, CSM Ministries. Angie, have you met them? Where's Angie? Have you met them before? Need to meet them. They've got a wonderful, wonderful outreach that is local here as well. Thank you for the reading there, Gil. It's interesting to me that weeks, yay, months ago when... We planned this series and this particular passage. It did not dawn on me till just the other day that this very passage on which we're uh, preaching today uh, is the same passage that Martin Luther King preached one of his most famous sermons. Uh, very interesting to me, just it happens to be MLK weekend, and here we are with the text of one of his best-known sermons. In fact, at, at the uh, book of his sermons entitled The Knock at Midnight. It's the very first one in that book. The sermon that he preached was preached soon after he spent time in Birmingham jail and wrote that incredible letter that has touched so many lives. And it was a sermon that he preached at Dexter Memorial there in Montgomery entitled The Drum Major Instinct. The drum major instinct. And what he meant by that was we all want attention. We all want to be first. We all want to surpass other people and succeed and get attention and acclaim for that. In other words, we want to lead the parade. We want to be the drum major. And so we come to the third word that we've been unpacking with our theme for the year. Follow our first love. First as in Jesus But like James and John in this passage that Gil read, we struggle with this because we want to be first. We want to be the 
the drum major. And as you know, this is third in a series on follow our, today we're dealing with the word first, love. And we've been following Jesus through Mark chapter 8, Mark chapter 9, and Mark chapter 10. In fact, Will, if you'll put the map up here one more time. We started out two weeks ago in Caesarea Philippi up here. That was the first time that Jesus told the disciples that he was going to suffer and die and rise again. And as you recall, Peter rebuked Jesus, and Jesus rebuked him back and said that unless you humble yourself and deny yourself and carry your own cross, only then are you really following me. So they moved from Caesarea Philippi down to Capernaum right about here. That's Mark chapter 9. And Jesus once again begins to talk in a little more graphic terminology as far as what is soon to happen to him. And this time, what occurs? Does anybody remember? He's walking along explaining this to them, and he looks back and says, what were you all arguing about back there? They arrive at Capernaum, and he asks, what were you all arguing about back there? And they were arguing about who was the, can somebody fill in the blank, who was the greatest? (laughs) Not even thinking about him and what he's talking about. And he takes a child from out in the margins of society, and out of the margins of that group stands the child among the group, and then takes the child in his arms and said, until you welcome one of these, who is the most disenfranchised of our people. Uh, Some of those whom Angie was talking about, to whom she and others minister down at Firehouse Shelter, until you welcome them, you're really not welcoming me. And now we come to Mark chapter 10. Now, twice already he has said, this is soon to happen, disciples. Surely three times, the third time is a charm. They started up here, Caesarea Philippi. They get down to Capernaum. They still don't get it. Now somewhere around here, they're heading toward Jerusalem. And this is Jesus heading to Jerusalem for the very last time, just before his suffering and death and resurrection. Surely they're going to get it this time. And he is all the more graphic. He's the most graphic this third time. In fact, let me just read verse 33. And and this is one time where I wish we didn't have the NIV in the pews because it just simply says, Jesus said, we are going up to Jerusalem. There's a word that is frequently put at the first which should be because of what it says there in the Greek. A lot of translations say, listen, or listen carefully, or even listen carefully to what I'm saying. The NRSV, New Revised Standard Version, says, see, we are going up to Jerusalem. Today, I can just see Jesus. If it were today, he'd be saying, hello, hello. He's trying to get their attention, saying, look, I've tried at least two other times to tell you what is about to happen, and you still aren't listening. See, listen up. Hear my words right now. And he says what? In the most graphic of the three narratives, he says, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him, and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. It's the first time you see just the multitude of these violent words, betrayed, condemned, handed over, mocked, spat upon, killed. <laughs> so they're going to get it this time, right? Three, three's a charm, third time's a charm. Immediately following this, James and John walk up to him and say, uh, we'd like for you to do what we ask of you. And he says, what is it you want me to do? And what did they say? Grant that we might sit on either side of you, one of us on your right, one on your left, when you get your earthly kingdom going. My goodness. Basically saying, Jesus, we have this blank check here. Would you mind just signing your name right there so we can cash it? Now, we want to condemn them. Golly, three times he's tried to get this hammered home, and they just don't get it. But aren't we guilty, too, 
Aren't we guilty too? Servanthood that comes with putting others first, that's the Jesus way. That's the way he wants us to spend our lives. But it isn't easy and it goes against the grain of our flesh, of our souls. It goes against that. Not only does it go against the grain of the flesh, but it goes against the grain of our self-centered culture. Jesus himself acknowledges this. Verse 42, he says, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. He's saying, you know, the pagans, they understand this. They get this. It's a self-centered culture starting at the top. In fact, look look at this coin here, Will, if you'll go to the next slide there. Uh, This is what a Gentile would look at in in the Roman Empire. If he got out a copper coin, it would have Caesar Augustus's face. And it says there, you see the name Caesar Augustus there on the right side. On the left side, it says divine son of God. Um, the other coin that they would use most frequently said uh, Caesar Augustus, he who must be adored. <laughs> and Tiberius had the same on his coin following Augustus. And that seems obnoxious and arrogant. But whenever we are not living as servants, we... Don't just fall prey. We give in to being obnoxious and arrogant ourselves. And that's why Jesus radically rejects this way, the drum major way. He says in this this passage, it is not so among you. He is saying you are not to be that way. You are to be radically, counterculturally different. And we can nod our heads and say, yeah, that's right. But we still struggle with our motives, don't we? So how do I live as a servant when I don't always want to be a servant? How do I go against the grain of my flesh and this culture in which we live? How do I worry less about being a drum major and rather being a selfless servant? Let me offer up a few things that our passage says. First of all, with our sub-theme, become a self-feeding disciple. That's our sub-theme for the year. Become a self-feeding disciple in this manner. That's the good news of the gospel. You know, it doesn't start with saying, I have to try harder or do better or act nicer or be less selfish. It starts by getting our eyes off of ourselves and on Jesus, who is the master servant, who embodied servanthood more than anyone else. He knows servanthood. And, And, you know, when you think about it, Scripture is this big Amazing, adventurous story of how God came to serve us and set us free. And, and, and once we get set free, we get to join this amazing story. And Jesus invites us to become players in this big story of servanthood. And the greatest part of the story, as you know, Jesus talks about in verse 45. Son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, that's what he did on the cross, paid the ransom. Back in Jesus' day, that word ransom meant to release or set free, to deliver. When you set a slave free back then, you paid a redemption. You paid a ransom for that slave, and then that slave was free. Precisely what he did for you and for me when we were enslaved in bondage to sin. So by becoming self-feeding disciples, we enter into that incredible story so we cannot help but serve him more. Again, that's why we become self-feeding disciples. The more time we spend with him in a qualitative fashion, whether it is in prayer or Bible study or solitude or meditation or fasting or whatever spiritual discipline you want to engage in on a given day, 
And there's a wealth of different kinds and wealth of different opportunities. But as you become more personally intimate with him, you cannot help but move your gaze from yourself to him. So become a self-feeding disciple. But there's something else important. To be a better servant, hear me now, let Jesus serve you. That's what he's saying here. As self-feeding disciples, how do we feed off the fact that Jesus came not to be served, but to serve? Yes, and serve us. It's impossible. Think about this. It's really impossible to follow Jesus. It's impossible to be freed from sin and selfishness. Therefore, it is impossible of our own efforts to pour out our lives into one another. It's impossible basically to please God. It's impossible to do any of these things unless unless Jesus first serves us us. Do you hear me on that? We can't do any of those things until Jesus first serves us and we let him do so. That's the gospel. He serves us. We, we don't need another religious leader to give us rules for how to live. We need someone to empower us to get beyond ourselves. You know, the Christian life is taking Jesus seriously when he says, I came to serve you. Jesus put it well in in John, in the farewell discourse. John chapter 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. For apart from me, apart from me, you can do nothing. So let me serve you. So every time Jesus tells us to do something servant-minded, to do something missional, to bring food to someone, to help the poor, to love our enemies, to forgive someone, to live a life of purity to give ourselves generously to others, he is asking us to be, listen to me, he's, listening, he's asking us to be served by him. If you don't hear me say anything else, listen to this. When you become a Christian, you do not become God's helper. God becomes your helper. I'll say that one more time. When you become a Christian, you do not become God's helper. God becomes your helper. Serving others is the outpouring of this grace that he first gives to us. Serving others is a grace. One final way I think we need to move from drum majors to selfless servants. And that is this, and hear me on this, stay driven but humble. Stay driven but humble. It's interesting how many scholars are careful to note that Jesus does not condemn James and John for their ambition per se. I find that interesting, but they say, you know, even James and John said, we're willing to drink the cup. I mean, Jesus asks them, are you willing to drink the cup that I'm going to drink? You know, are you willing to be baptized with my baptism? And they don't really get what all of that entails, but nevertheless, they say, yes, Lord, we are. So they've got this adrenaline, they've got this drive to follow him as best they understand what it means. But what's interesting to me is in verse 39, Jesus says, Well, you will drink from that cup and be baptized and follow in my (laughs) baptism. He's basically saying, you know, one day soon, you're going to drink that same cup of suffering and death. You're going to be baptized as I am baptized, having to suffer and die to self. You're going to experience that not just spiritually, but James and John, physically you will. Now, Jesus is not being morbid there. He's saying that's what's going to happen. And you see it beginning in the book of Acts when, just like all the other disciples, James and John move from being selfish people to not just selfless servants, but fearless servants. And what Jesus was saying is, you're going to suffer and die, but you're going to participate in my glory in this amazing, adventurous 
story. You're, you're going to be martyred. But it's going to be for my glory, and it's going to be a glory for you to be a part of it. Well, Jesus wants us to take our ambition and channel it towards serving others for his glory. And it's great. It's, it's great when we can accomplish things to be a driven people, to get after it, to succeed, to do something significant, to contribute to our community, to where we work, wherever it might be. But we've just got to keep ourselves grounded and understand once again that we are not the drum major. He is. Got to keep ourselves grounded. Now, one person who's used to being in the air, along with being grounded, is this guy. Who knows who this guy is? Anybody know his name? Nick Walenda. How many of you watched it when he walked across the Grand Canyon? How many? Raise your hand if you saw it. Was that not one of the more nerve-wracking things you ever watched in your life? It was just incredible. The choir's still murmuring about it back here. And the year before that, see, he did that in 2013, the year before. So did any of you see him walk across Niagara Falls? Just incredible. Tightrope walker. Now, and again, here's a guy, though, who, I mean, he's a drum major in his field. There's nobody like him. He's the most watched daredevil of all time. Uh, and, and, I, and I told this story, by the way, in GPS a couple of weeks ago. I hope you're checking GPS leading up to Sunday that you get in the email and e-news and other places. But each of those times that he walked across uh, Niagara Falls, when he walked across the Grand Canyon, it was seen by a billion people across the planet. A billion people. Now, he's a follower of Jesus. And, and, and do you know what he does to keep himself grounded right after he does any feat like that? Any adventuresome thing like that? You know what he does for the next few hours? Does anybody know? He picks up trash. Who's been reading GPS? God bless you. You can go home. Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> I heard it over here too. Picks up trash. That's what he does for at least three hours after any of these feats. And he thinks that's important. It reminds him that I am not the drum major. In fact, let me just read this quote from Walenda. I just think it's great. He says, After the inordinate amount of attention that I receive, I need to keep myself grounded. Three hours of cleaning up debris is good for my soul. Humility does not come naturally to me. Can we confess that too? Sometimes, absolutely. He says, humility does not come naturally to me, so I put myself into situations that are humbling. I need to get down on my hands and knees like everyone else. I do it because it's a way to keep from tripping. And as a follower of Jesus, I see him washing the feet of others. So I do it because I don't serve others. Because if I don't serve others, rather, I'll be serving nothing but my own ego. It's a good word. Again, in this passage, it's telling us, work hard to succeed and achieve at things. Yes, take that drive and use it, though, but use it for God's glory by keeping him first, letting him be the drum major. Set yourself aside. Now, Walenda goes and picks up trash, or you can be a self-feeding disciple like we were talking about, because nothing else is going to help you focus more on your first love, who is Jesus, Nothing's going to help you more than by taking time out each and every day to spend with him and become more personally intimate with Jesus, that he might truly become your first love. But what it involves is getting rid of you, <laughs> moving from the me and the my and the I to, well, as we talked about last week, our, but ultimately to him. And I'm reminded of the wonderful book, really, it's an autobiography of Helen Rosevier. Who's this an amazing medical missionary in Africa 
She was a doctor in this large hospital. She was the only really bona fide doctor in this hospital in Africa. And she wrote uh, one time of having all these constant interruptions and having these shortages all the time of resources and equipment and people that she tried to serve each and every day. And she became more impatient and irritable along the way to the point that it was just really showing among other people. They were just kind of walking on eggshells around her. And finally, a loving African pastor who was a friend of hers sidled up to her and said, Helen, please come with me. And he drove Helen to his very humble house where his wife was waiting, and she hosted Helen. And the pastor looked at her and said, you're going to have a retreat. You're going to have two days here at my home, two days of silence. I love this, three, three spiritual disciplines in one, in two days. Two days of silence and solitude and prayer until your attitude is adjusted a little bit. And she goes on to recount how all night and the next day she struggled. She prayed She stayed silent, but she said her prayers seemed to bounce off the ceiling. And late Sunday night, she sat by this pastor at a campfire outside of the house, and she confessed. She just told him, I'm stuck. I don't know what to do. And this pastor, who was in his bare feet, as he usually was, took his big toe and drew a line in the dusty ground. And he said, Helen, that's the problem. There is too much I in your service. Too much I in your service. He said, we need to do something about that, and I want you to engage in a particular spiritual discipline. He said, I noticed that quite often when you make your coffee, and you're a big coffee drinker, you wait for a good while for that coffee to cool. He drew another line in the sand and drew it across that I. And said, I want you to pray every day when you go get that coffee because you like multiple cups of coffee during the day. As that coffee cools, I want you to pray this prayer. Lord, cross out the eye. Lord, cross out the eye. Cross out the eye and make me more like you. Cross out the eye and let me see you. (laughs) How many times do you and I need to cross it out? Daily. I think becoming better self-feeding disciples can help you and me put him first all the more. But we struggle with it every day. I recently heard a philosopher say this. The main problem in the church is that we have people following a crucified Savior who have a totally uncrucified ego. It's well put. Well put. But Jesus came not to serve but to serve you. And he can still serve you if only you ask Let him serve you that you might serve. We've talked here before about we're blessed to be blessings. It all begins, though, with him having served you and offering you service even this day that then you might go enter into the missional field where he so, so needs you. I'd like to ask that we engage in a discipline of meditation. Bow your heads and close your eyes with me for just a moment. I want to ask you, and this is an opportunity for you to have a very, very gut-level honest moment with God and take a moment of silent conversation with Him right now and personally share with Him something in your own life that is such a distraction, something that, that keeps the focus on you, something that preoccupies you instead of Him being your preoccupation. What is it that keeps you from seeing His face but yours first of all? Bottom line, what is something in your life that you need to set aside? 
that you might see him more fully, love him more fully, that he might, yes, serve you as he so desperately wants to do, that you might then serve others. What is the one thing in your life that's just keeping you from being the servant of Jesus that he has called you to be? Take just a moment of silence and, and pray about that with God. Lord, we struggle so much. We want acclaim. We want the attention. We want the applause. We want the glory. And yet it indeed needs to all be channeled your way. Forgive us when it is more about us than you. Please deliver us from ourselves that we might walk in newness with you and bask, bask in, yes, the warmth and the joy the celebration of being served by you first, that we might serve others. You served us most ultimately there at Golgotha on that cross. May we fix our eyes on that, as it says in your word. Run the race fixing our eyes on that each and every day, each and every hour. Help us to do that, O God. Lord, we're about to sing, I give you my heart. Help us to do that and give it to you and in doing so, place you first. We pray these things in your name. Amen.